I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but then they go on to be an asshole? My skin met the asphalt. But these new new ways kit my... All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. The victim. I mean, guess. It's usually such a horrible set of life, but they like how it looks. It's a cafe racer with alloy manks, racing tank, and clip-ons, and all that jazz. The Soma actually was purchased by uh, the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Yeah. After this interview, I sound like a fat, hairy, bearded slob. Um, So I'm familiar with the long hours and the uncomfortable seat. Kangaroos are just leaping down the street every day. Um, All right, technically all chaps are assholes, right? Yeah. I don't have it perfected. I have to stop talking shit. The more I talk it, the more my bike messes up. My wife's like, you're 41 and started a race career. I'm like, yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah. All right, well, now you know what you're in for. I do this show with no clothes on. Yeah, yeah, I'm as naked as a jaybird is. Uh, I'm as naked as the day is long. It's me, your host, Poo Poo Facehead. Whatever, uh... Somebody called me there in the beginning. Hey, thanks for joining me. I hope you had a good uh, Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you had a really uh, good surprise. It's so weird. It feels like Thanksgiving was a month ago, even though it was literally uh, one week ago today or yesterday, today. What what it was today? Um, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Hi, hi, hello. How are you doing? Are you you still have a tryptophan hangover? Have you kind of got over things? Is it all the shitty kind of going back the week after Thanksgiving? And um you know, working. So that's always a bummer for everyone in the United States, at least. Um, all right. That's a nice generalization to make about a nation. Um, I'd like to give a few shout outs. Thanks to some people for liking the show. A few more people who have been tuning in. Some people that I, I'm assuming have been tuning in, um, but I haven't heard from or, or seen on other things just because uh, I see some comments and whatnot on our Facebook page. I never really thought I'd like Facebook that much, but uh, it, do- it turns out it is a place to cyberstock people without having to actually uh, know much about them. So thank you for stalking the show and thank you for stalking a stuffin and thank you for checking out everything that you do. A uh, big shout out to some a coworker or two that I, I'm assuming is listening now. Whiskey Cloud Man, uh, you know who you are. <laughs> and a few other people who are checking in and checking us out. Um, Wow, I hope you don't expect too much because, you know, if you're a long-time listener of this show, you know. And by long time, I mean one year. So, you know. At any rate, hey, let's get this show started with some interesting, amazing, and exciting news. Uh, I'm still seeing podcasts and, and uh, articles and stuff pop up about ICMA and luckily nothing from Intermot. I mean, I guess, you know, it's far enough away that we've let that go, but... A lot of stuff about ICMA still popping up, and I kind of wanted to wait a week before I talked about uh, our experience at the IMS show last week and kind of give people a chance to eat some turkey, calm the F down, and then, um, you know, kind of give them the swing of things afterwards. So, yes, I'm back from a wonderful vacation, just got back yesterday, and 
probably by the end of this week, um, I will be ready for this baby to come out. And uh, yeah, I will have totally forgotten the wonderful time I had over my vacation. So I better talk to about it now while I can still remember it. Uh, we'll be talking about stuff I saw at IMS. Of course, I, I go there every year for work. And after my work duties are done, uh, I take off my work clothes and get in my party clothes. And I walk around and I talk to people who look interesting and bikes that look interesting. And that's how a few years ago, I ended up talking to the guys from Rika. If you listen to episode 18, I talked to Mark DeGalli there. Uh, last year, I talked to, I believe his name, I forget his first name, Mr. Carducci from Carducci Designs, took a Harley Davidson and turned it into a R1200GS eating beast that actually uh, looks like it would whip an R1200's ass. And um, yeah, lots of great people there that tickles my fancy because after all, that's why I started this show. There's plenty of things after uh, my work is done that I go around and totally unwork related. So I love to go check it out and see what people are doing, see what people are making. And uh, this year I got a chance to hook up with Chuck from the Wheel Nerds and he was there interrupting my work all weekend. And, um, yeah, if you go over to the Wheel Nerds Facebook page, you can see a lot of the live streams he did, which was really nice. You get to hear exactly what we get to hear on press day, which really isn't that exciting. And you get to hear people say motorcycle, mortar cycle, and motor cycling. We love motor cycles and mortar cycling. And there's a couple extra R's that everybody adds. So that was kind of funny going back and listening to uh, some of the live streams because I didn't really, you don't really catch it in when you're you're trying to listen to it and listen to what they're talking about and absorbing data. You just kind of, I don't know, is in the, in the playbacks, everybody seemed to be saying mortar cycle. So yeah, go over to the wheel nerds Facebook page and check out their video streams and all that great jazz. All right. Well, let's jump into this episode. This episode is titled getting small. We're going to be talking about a theme that's been kind of growing within the motorcycle market for the last five years, sort of secretly to our, you know, to uh, unbeknownst to us. But now it's here. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, I'll also talk to you about my turkey vacation. And of course, everybody's favorite thing in the world, video games. Let's get this show started. You know, Christmas is right around the corner. And uh, what makes more of a lovely stuffing, stuff, a stuffing stucker than a video game? What type of video game? This is a motorcycle podcast, ain't it? Motorcycle video game, son. We've all stayed up late at night playing Bars of Fury or whatever that old crappy game that was just like pole position was. Yeah, I'm sure your parents are pretty proud of you for beating level 13 of Excite Bike, but you know what? I'm not talking about those games. I'm talking about some... Well, maybe we will actually talk about one of those games. I'm talking about some bitchin' motorcycle racing games. Motorcycle racing games, as it were. All right. I have scoured the internet, and uh, I'm going to also use a little bit of personal uh, history here to talk about motorcycle video games. And, uh, you know, I, I played them. I have played them in the past. I actually did play Excite Bike and... I still have played it recently. But you know, I'm kind of picky when it comes to video games. I don't want my video games to be like a video game. I want them to be like a simulator. 
I really love simulating racing and I love racing in general. So I just, I don't want a game where there's two or three buttons, one to go forward and one to go backwards and one to go left and one to go right. I want a game that has ultimate input and makes me feel like I'm actually doing the work. If I'm not going to be out there sweating and moving around on my bike for real, I want a game that makes me feel like I am. And you know, a lot of games, I, I actually played racing games back in the past when I used to race cars and um, once I got into riding bikes. And the ones that tended to be my favorite were the simulator type racing games. So let's talk about a few. I'm going to talk about some from personal experience that I've played, but I'm also going to talk about some that I haven't only seen uh, screenshots of and seen, you know, video of and stuff like that. So I kind of wanted to learn for myself what's out there because, you know, some people don't like some people, uh, some people more into the action of a video game. You know, some people are into the community. Some people are into playing, you know, with their friends or with other people online. So I think there's different aspects that people look for when they're looking for a good video game. So I didn't didn't want to cover only simulators or only stuff that's like really hard and there's some like fun value to it. So let's look let's take a look here and dive into some of the games that I found reviews of and uh, talk about maybe if it's something you've played you can you can email the show or give your feedback and tell me exactly where I'm right or where I'm wrong. The first game on our list is going to be a game that I've seen before. Uh, I thought it was a car game, but after looking into it, it features bikes. It's Project Gotham, and I'm not sure if it's called Project Gotham or Project Gotham Racing, but uh, I looked at, watched some screenshots, watched some video uh, play of somebody, somebody actually running through a couple of the levels on bikes, and I love the fact that the graphics look pretty good. And I mean, I guess... You know, graphics are just getting better and better and better and better. I can't tell if they're playing this on the PC or a, or a console. So the thing is, Project Gotham. Here's here's what I look for when I'm when I'm looking for a, a fun, simulative sort of game. The the backgrounds have to look real. The you know, the tarmac has to look real. The concrete, the dirt, whatever you're racing on, the sound effects, all that stuff meshes to. I'm not like a, a VR type of person. But you kind of do get that experience with some really good games where when you're driving on the grass, you swear that you can see like each blade of grass as you're going over it. Or you can even see like patches of dirt in the grass and the blades. Um, You can see some bug crawling on the blade of grass or on a leaf or whatever the hell. I mean, that's a good game. And uh, when you're doing the replays and it doesn't just look like you're driving on like a bitmap or something like it's really cool. I like games like that. So when you're driving on a racing game and there's like, you know, you do a burnout or something on one lap and you come around and it's there again on the next lap, like that's next level shit right there that they didn't ever have that in games in the past. Or if they did, you know, the memory could only hold it for so long. So 10 laps later, Hey, I see my burnout erasing right now or something like that. So Video games nowadays are just so incredible that it, it will like remember you, what you've done to the environment, and when you revisit that spot, it's still there. So, Project Gotham is one of those games. When you're riding the bike, you look in the rearview mirrors and you see the imagery going backward. the The backgrounds look real. 
Um, everything going by, I mean, you know, obviously it's a racing game. So when you stop, things might look a little pixely because when you're flying by at a hundred miles an hour, it doesn't necessarily need to look like you're, you know, you're not going to be zooming in and inspecting, you know, what somebody's eating in the crowd. But this is one of those games that kind of looks that good. You know what I mean? At least, you know, the person didn't stop and drive up next to the wall, but there's a lot of games where the detail like that really counts to them and they put it in there. And, uh, you know, a lot of stuff when you're riding around, the track all looks the same color. Oh, we did a really good job on the asphalt, but that's it. I mean, it just looks like asphalt around where other games, the sunlight hits it and there are the tr- there's a tree on the side of the track and now there's a shadow across the track. You know what I mean? Like, that's the difference to me to what makes a good game and what, what doesn't. Because sometimes some games will put patches of asphalt that look a little worn or like a dark oil spot or even dirt or something on it. And this is the type of game that Project Gotham looks like to me just from the gameplay that I saw. It has really good looking graphics and realistic looking physics. And that's another thing that is important to me. So... Uh, I've never played this game and instead of just blathering and on and on and on, I'll just say that it looks really cool. And I didn't look up any of the car racing uh, screenshots or, or video, you know, any of that stuff. So I don't know what the damage is like and all that great stuff. This, this may surpass some of the, you know, things that I already like about it, but it looks like a cool game that if you're going to throw down a few bucks, um, you know, go ahead and, and grab this one. The next game on our list is Ride. Now, Ride looks about as close to real as I feel like Tourist Trophy used to be. Looks like it features lots of customization, lots of upgrades. Um, the tracks that they were explaining are real-world tracks. Um, I didn't hear that they had any that they've made up. It looked like they were all real-world. Uh, I love the way teams are making these games nowadays where they'll hook a camera up to a car and drive around the track and then digitize it. And that's how you get the blades of grass with the bugs on it. That's how you get, you know, graffiti at Nürburgring. That's how you get patches of dirt and oil and stuff here and there and tar snakes and all this crap that some games have in it. And this looked like one of those games. Even the guy sitting down, the rider, it looked like you could totally customize the rider. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm into that. And then uh, the bike upgrades, it looks like you could upgrade your stuff and then tune it. So, I mean, this, this looked like one of those really involved games similar to Tourist Trophy, which I just absolutely used to love. And uh, it also had really, really good looking graphics. Um, the I believe there was a couple crashes that it showed, and the crashing looks pretty good and pretty real, and the physics of it looked pretty real. So Ride would be a game that I would definitely rank up there with one. Uh, like I said, I've never played this game either, but I would definitely check it out, and I wouldn't feel bad spending like thirty bucks or forty bucks or whatever the hell it is to, uh, you know, it, this doesn't look like a stinker to me, and even if it didn't meet every single one of the criteria I look for in a race game. It looks like it had a lot of really cool stuff. The next game on our list is Grand Theft Auto 5. So if you're familiar with any of the Grand Theft Auto games, they've just been, ever since the very first one where it was an overhead, like, 80s arcade view, they've just been getting better and better and better. Like, I didn't I didn't dig that one, but I, I did like the sort of, that was like the the 
beginning of like sandbox world sort of stuff. I've played Grand Theft Auto Five. It's fun. I do like racing games. I do like driving games. And so needless to say, I like, you know, this game has like a lot of potential violence in it and stuff like that. I kind of dig that too. You have a bad day at work. Instead of going out and crashing your car into a building or driving it off uh, a cliff into the ocean or beating somebody up for their car, go do it on a video game, right? I mean, if you do that in real life, you go to jail. If you do it on a video game, you level up. So, you know. Keep it real, bro. Um, but yeah, no, GT5. Uh, the funny thing about GT5 is that there is a part of this that I swear is Los Angeles. And lo and behold, it is. Um, there's a an app for your phone called Road Trippers. And if you go on there, uh, there's an actual tour of Los Santos, um, which is, you know, this one of the cities in the, in the game. And... It'll take you around to the parts where it's based off of. I mean, there's Venice Beach. I think there was, um, shit, I think there's like Chatsworth and stuff in it. It looks it looks so crazy. Tahunga Canyon looks like it's in there. Um, and some of these old parts of Hollywood where they film movies, but nobody wants to live. And it's kind of like Tweakerville. I mean, every every town has that, right? But I swear to God that they've done a really good job. And Los Santos was actually Los Angeles. And, uh, yeah, there's even parts of the, uh, like, um, driving along the PCH and stuff that looks just like this. So, yeah, there's an actual app that'll take you, like I said, it's called Road Trippers, and they have a driving route that'll take you around all the places that are based on Los Angeles. So, yeah, GTA 5. And uh, another thing with this one, now the graphics aren't as, the graphics aren't super great. No, no, no. Take that back. The graphics are great, but they're not like racing simulator graphics. They're, you know, they're, they are sandbox third person driving game. Great. You know, so, you know, don't expect, I mean, and they did a really good job on this. I'm I'm not knocking it in any way. It's just, it's a really good graphics actually. But, uh, the gameplay is a total sandbox. So you're not on a racing circuit, but there are races that you can do. Uh, the fun thing is that I think you can play with friends online on this and do racing and stuff like that, little racing challenges and whatnot. Uh, the other crazy thing is that this has got... Now, they're not licensed, I don't believe, with stuff like a lot of racing games will get licensing with uh, car manufacturers and whatnot. I don't think that they are licensed with anybody. I think what they do is... They make a uh, something that's similar. You can recognize what it's supposed to be, and then in the in the game they'll call it like a Ford Mustang would be called like the uh, you know Dorado Pony or something like that. But anyway, I don't think they license with actual car companies, but you can tell what it's a, a facsimile of. So you got you know cars, you got bikes, you got all sorts of different styles of bikes. I think that I think I rode sport bikes on there. I think there's cruisers. I think I rode an ADV or like a KLR sort of bike. And there's even bicycles on there. And uh, the crazy thing is that you can, like I said, it's it's a uh, sandbox world. So you can just ride anywhere and just go off road. I think there's even quads on there and uh, stuff like that, if I remember correctly. So fortunately, it has some really decent graphics, lots of side missions, uh, races, cars or bikes. Um, and you know, there's lots of terrain. There's one, I went up to the top of this one 
area just randomly walked up this crazy mountain and you get to the top and holy crap there is a motorcycle parked at the top and you start going down and there's all these ramps it's kind of like red bull rampage so they really did put like a lot of crazy stuff into this gta even though it's not a racing game i would recommend playing this just because it's like stepping out of reality into an alternate reality that lets you like cruise your bike through the mall, you know what I mean? And do all the stuff that would be totally stupid to do in real life. Uh, next game, Joe Danger. Now, this one looked really fun, and it's a little cartoony, and it's a side-view game, um, not third-person and not uh, simulator. It's, I forget what they call this, but it's like a side-view like um, Excite Bike was, where it's arcade-style, I guess. And... Joe Danger looked like a modern uh, take on Excite Bike. The the tracks look similar. Um, the gameplay looks similar. However, the the graphics, the animation, the fluidity, the fun factor of this is like three thousand times ex- what Excite Bike was. Excite Bike literally is you just going on the same obstacles over and over, just swapped out in different configuration. Joe Danger looked really fun. There's a part where he's jumping a shark. Uh, There's a part where he's jumping over like weird stuff in there. And, and it looks a little bit more, it looks like excite bike meets trials meets um, like SpongeBob SquarePants or something just because the animation, the graphics, the sort of uh, kooky stuff that they put in there to make it fun really looks like it adds a next level of gameplay to an otherwise bore. I mean, you can only play Excite Bike so many times. I mean, you know what I mean. It, 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 it there's a reason why it was a really fun, cool game back in the day, and now you have simulators nowadays. So this one kind of takes us back to that and emulates it, but throws in a, a whole like new generation of animation, graphics, um, part. Uh, cartoon design, stuff like that. So it looks pretty fun. It's called Joe Danger. Um, the fifth game on the list is Excite Bike. It is what I consider the patient zero of motorcycle games for most people. I'm sure there were games before Excite Bike, and I'm sure that they were much crappier. But everybody, uh, Excite Bike is one of those things that's kind of iconic. When you see the little dude doing a wheelie with pixely flag behind him, whether somebody has like taken that and like altered it a little bit to make it their logo for their company, or like you see it on a sticker, you know what it is. You, you, young or old, you know what Excite Bike is. And even if you don't know what it, like, hey, I've seen that before. I don't know what that's from, but I, I know that little guy. So it's Excite Bike, and you know it when you see it. Um, the graphics and gameplay um, on this one obviously is super dated, but it's still fun to play. Uh, like I said, you can't play it all all day. You can't get hooked on it too much. But there's uh, on the Wii, if you have a Nintendo Wii, they revamped it. And it's enough fun to play for a while. If you're sick and you got a couple hours that you need to kill and you, you're resting in bed, whip out the old Excite Bike on the Wii or whatever platform they might have it on. Um, there's no real skill building after a few sessions like other games where you you know, learn to do uh, cornering or braking, or you learn the the limits of traction and tire wear and yada. I mean, there's simulators are like that. You know, your your fuel lightens up, 
your tires get worn, the bike starts to handle different. None of that stuff with Excite Bike, okay? It's just pure arcade fun. Like I say, it is fun. They might even have new versions out like Angry Birds. Angry Birds was, you know, is always getting revamped to keep it relevant and new and fun. So Excite Bike, they might have an app out there or or uh, you know, some sort of uh, new game where they're where they're constantly putting new stuff in. So Excite Bike, patient zero. The sixth game on our list here for the PC and console platform, I guess I should have mentioned that in the beginning, is a Tourist Trophy. Now, in my mind, Tourist Trophy is one of the best uh, racing simulators, at least for its time. Uh, this is the one I cut my teeth on. I loved Gran Turismo when I got into car racing. Gran Turismo was one of the games that got me into that, and I've collected all the Gran Turismo games and I have Tourist Trophy and I was so bummed stupid PlayStation didn't make their games backward compatible and you got to like rebuy everything or re buy it and download it if you uh you know already own it you know it's kind of stupid to have to buy it again but um yeah Tourist Trophy it, this is one of those games where uh the only thing I don't like about Tourist Trophy is or you know the polyphonic digital games is the amount of damage I don't feel like is really enough. And when you crashed on this game, you kind of slid off and then flashed and came back. I'm not looking for anything gruesome, but there are some games out there where you crunch into something and your door doesn't shut or your fender rubs your tire and you get a flat, you know. I'm I'm just I'm maybe I'm too into simulators and I was looking for something else, but uh, when I was playing Tourist Trophy, I was really glad that when you slide, you don't really slide for like, t- you know, two or three seconds and then tumble through the grass and then have to run over and get your bike and come back because I would have lost a couple races <laughs> had that happened. But let's talk about one of the greatest things about it. It had everything. I don't know if any games can outshine TT, to be honest. Um Polyphonic Digital did such a good game uh, simulation. They got all the stuff from Gran Turismo, so you get a lot of the, the same tracks carry over. A lot of the licensing carries over. They would hook cars and bikes up to machines to get their actual handling characteristics. So you don't just have, hey, all these bikes that you know in the sport bike class handle a certain way. No, no, no. Each bike handled specifically to its... Uh, I mean, that's the, that's how the, the Japanese do their motorcycles. That's how they do their video games when it's a simulation. Each bike, if it had a certain lean angle and a pushing characteristic or understeer, it had it in the game. And the sounds every bike had, supposedly, you know, I didn't watch them make the game or anything, but supposedly they went and recorded every single bike so that when you heard the bike on the game, you were hearing the bike. You weren't hearing... You know, let's record 12 different bikes and put them, you know, that's even some racing games are like that. Every every bike sounds the same or every car sounds the same. And uh, when you're driving, it's like just a, a, a bunch of bees because it just all sounds like, you know, and this one, each each thing sounded different. Uh, so that's really cool. And when you when you would modify your exhaust, it would change the exhaust note. Um, I don't know how they did that. I'm sure I don't think they really put like Yoshi's or Akrapovich on every single bike and reran it. But they might have had a can sound for that. But at least it was cool that it changed it, you know. And you change your intake, and it would uh, alter it, alter the sound. So it was really cool. 
the 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 level of customization on this bike i'll get into that in a second but uh so the the customization of the bike was on par with the gran turismo car racing simulator um the oem licensing meant that you got real bikes with real sounds real handling characteristics real colors um and sometimes you could win cup bikes or um you know moto gp bikes or obscure paint schemes and stuff like that so it's really cool every time you'd win and the cool thing about i mean i i like this about gt it was a little bit hard but on on gran turismo and tourist trophy you had to get your license so you had to pass skill tests in order to move up and be able to race uh you know you wanted to race the cup bikes you had to pass your super license so i really like that even though it was hard it made me a really good player and I, and it made me really like the game that much more because then I, I didn't just get to go all of a sudden race Randy Mamola. You know, I had to like work my way up through the, the novice ranks to the AMA to world, you know, super bike up to GP. So, I mean, it was that sort of game where, you know, it made you a better player because it made you a better racer. And it was actually, uh, if you, when you looked at the tutorials and stuff, this is stuff that you would really be getting in a classroom. Like if you went to California Superbike school or something, um, writing techniques and stuff may be changing and all that, but what other game does that, you know, it gives you like real, uh, real writing instruction that you would find in a, in, in a real writing school. So I thought that was really cool. Um, what else did I write down here? You could customize your bike and your rider to the nth degree, and that's no shit. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the graphics were pretty fluid and realistic looking. The replays, sometimes, if you did the replay right and you set your TV like to kind of muted colors like like a real TV show and not really bright cartoon video game colors, it looked like a real race. You could fool people into thinking that you were watching racing on TV, and the coolest part, you're watching yourself. The thing I also liked about Tourist Trophy um, is that like with a lot of other games, you don't get weather or when you do, it looks like shit and it's crappy and you have to like only play a couple of guys because of the memory. They fixed all that and it was really cool racing, you know, a bunch of dudes. Um, The races was never a static number of people. It was always varied depending on what race you were doing. Uh, Let's get into the customization. Bike setup and car. If you ever played Gran Turismo and Tourist Trophy, you know, bike and car setup could be done like so crazy. Uh, you could, on certain bikes, if if you could adjust it, you could like even mess with your rake and trail, and you could mess with all the suspension, damping, rebound, depending on if that stuff is equipped. So first, you had to buy it and equip it. And then you could adjust it. And if your bike came with it, then you could adjust it. And if your bike, if you're turning your bike into like a total race bike, man, you could go all out. You could adjust the the ride heights, the, uh, you know, the presets, the preload. Um, uh, there's all sorts of stuff. The ABS le- braking levels, the power. You could even reduce power. Like if you were to remap your ECU and like cut power back for whatever reason, you could do that. Um, I think think there was like traction and yaw control and stuff like you could get i know there was on gran turismo for the cars but uh yeah like ride heights all that crazy stuff that's one thing now the the great thing about gran turismo is they do that with the cars and they just go down the deepest of rabbit holes all the way to like programming your um you know your computer with your uh the differential 
you know, and the lock and the all this sort of stuff. So, I mean, you can like customize differentials and gear ratios and all this. Well, you can do that with the bikes too. But the rider was the the aspect of that they didn't have in Gran Turismo. You know, you could you could like train drivers and stuff like that. But the rider on on Tourist Trophy would also influence how the bike handled and how your camera. Because I used to, I can't race racing games from behind just because I don't. When I'm riding, I don't see the road from behind myself. I see it from my perspective. So I always had to race the games like that too, like from the rider's perspective. And in Gran Turismo, I mean, in Tourist Trophy, you could set up the rider so that he or she rode a certain way. And I would set, you could, you could, you could put how far they leaned off the bike, how far forward or back they sat to the tank or to the seat hump. You could, uh, adjust their leg angle, how far down they put their knee when they're turning. Um, you could adjust, you know, if did they hug the tank with their knee while you're going around a corner or put their knee way out because that would, uh, that would affect the lean angle you could get in the corners. Um, there was three different, th- there was like tilt the bike, tilt the body or neutral. And so, I mean, you already had like all these settings available pre preset and then you could you could customize each one. So I mean it was crazy, you know. So I used to do lean body. You could basically make like a Marquez, you know, make him hanging all the way off. Or you could do lean bike where you made the bike uh lean all the way over and your rider could get as far down, you know, as he could. And it really affected the way the bike's handled. So I mean that was that was a really cool thing. And I guess what it was doing was on Gran Turismo with the cars, you're you could adjust the camber and you could adjust the toe and you could adjust the freaking air pressure and all this crazy stuff. Right. Um, so I guess this was basically on the bike since you could only modify certain stuff on the bikes down, you know, you can't modify, um, you know, the angle of the, the tire or whatever, or the sidewall or air pressure, but you can, uh, adjust the rider, which is, which is, going further into how the handling of the bike is. So, I mean, you could even adjust how far they turn their head and to what angle they turn their head. And it would affect the camera when you're riding around the track, your rider would like look farther forward into the corners or have their head tilted a certain way around a corner. And I mean, we're talking, this is like crazy amount of customization. And that's why I love that game so much. And I'll just talk, I could talk about it forever. Let me see how long I've been talking about it. Oh, got to get off this game. We've been talking about it for a while. But let me just uh, wrap that up by saying that Tourist Trophy is one of the best writing games I've ever played. And um, I'm not 100% sure if Project Gotham or Ride comes close to that. But man, like this, that game ruled my life for quite a while. And I was so sad when I got a PlayStation 3 and couldn't play it anymore. Um, let's move on to bike uh, game number seven in the PC and console realm, and it's SBKX. This looks like a really close second to Tourist Trophy. The graphics don't look as good as the graphics for Ride did, but the bikes and the gameplay looked really fun. And of course, SBK, it's more like a super bike um, sort of game. And the... I remember the graphics looking pretty smooth on this when I watched the uh, the video play of it, and I don't know. I didn't see. I didn't. I don't remember seeing 
how much you could customize stuff and, and, and all that. But it did look pretty fun. Uh, of course, check it out and, and watch people do plays of, you know, watch them race a whole lap or something and, and see how it works and see when you crash, does your guy fall off? I think on this one, that's one of the things that, that struck me was the bike actually tumbles and the rider will roll too into the grass. So that one was like a little bit more realistic. Um, and it looked pretty fun. I, I put it on here a close second to tourist trophy. So something must've caught my eye about it, but gosh, ride looked really good. I can't imagine. Uh, I don't know. Those two seem like maybe take a chance on them. Uh, the eighth game here in the PC and console, uh, realm is ATV off-road fury. Now this game had a bunch of sequels. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure how many, and I'm not hundred percent sure if they're still making them and updating it, but this game and its sequels were popular mostly for the fun environments and the competition and the crazy stuff they started doing. I think one of the later, what, yeah, I think one of the later sequels had like, a, uh, you could fly planes. It was turning into like Red Bull, you know, basically, but, uh, the general gameplay was super fun. The graphics were pretty good. Uh, I played, I can't remember, I, I played it so long ago, but the graphics were good for, for back then. It was on, uh, I figured if it was on Xbox or PlayStation, but the graphics are pretty good. Um, I'm I'm assuming if they're still making this, that the graphics have only got better you know, with each each generation and each console that it goes to. The you had to learn the rhythm sections and get them down kind of in order to be fast and win races. So that was kind of cool. And again, not real muscle memory. You're not learning anything here, but you are learning rhythm and what it looks like. Um, I don't, I would say that this is not a racing simulator of any type. It was more fun just to blast around dirt tracks and go into these trail riding races and stuff like that. But you did have to learn how to preload and hit the throttle at the right time. Um, in order to jump and get your rhythm right. And if you didn't get the rhythm right and you started to flounder or hit jumps like not smoothly and case them, you would totally start slowing down like real life. So they had some of it, right? And the last game that I have down, number nine in the PC and console uh, realm, is Trials Evolution. Now, this game looks like most Trials games. You can go forward or break. And you can lean forward or backwards. That's all great. But what makes this game look pretty fun is the environments that you play in and the, the graphics of the backgrounds and the obstacles that they throw at you. Uh, the video I was watching looked like your typical Trials game. Most of them are from the side or like a three-quarter view, and that's fine. Um, I, I don't know why I like Trials games so much. I don't know why I like a lot of weird little video games that are nothing more than just like physics-based stuff. Like I really liked stuff like angry birds it was just it was fun it was addictive because you're smashing stuff but also because it was physics based and if you got your angles right and physics worked in your in your favor you really accomplished something so i think that's why i like the trials games too is like sometimes they're hard as hell you know sometimes these trial games trials games are extremely difficult to and frustrating at some point because you can't do it. And you're like, are you sure you're, you can actually do this? And then you do it and you're like, holy crap, you know, I just next leveled myself on this. But so this one, I'm sure there's lots of really good games out there. Um, this one didn't look particularly bad. 
I mean, it was it was nothing like flashy and awesome about it. I I just happened to like Trials games, and this one looked like it had the best graphics as far as um you know, as far as the obstacles and stuff that you're going to be going over. They might as well look look good, right? So let's move to apps, and then we'll get off of this really quick because I think I only got about four or five for the apps. So the apps for Android and iOS. Uh, the first one I wrote down here is Highway Rider. Now this game looks so blocky and crappy. All you do is ride down a highway on a cruiser and you try not to crash into traffic. That's good for people who like to play games about slabbing it and like traffic without any challenges, but it looks as boring as just driving on the freeway home from work. Um, I would not recommend Highway Rider. And I would recommend that it's probably more fun and actually more dangerous to ride your <laughs> bike home from work. Uh, you know, don't get this game. Why would I even put it on here? As a warning, really. Um, yeah, and the graphics look really sucky, too. The next game is Ducati Challenge. This game looks like it's made by the same crew... Hang on a second. I think my dog's attacking something outside. All right. Imminent attack over. Good dog. Good dog. I don't know what it was attacking outside, but whatever it is, is dead now. Hopefully it wasn't the neighbor. All right. So yeah, Ducati Challenge. This game looks equally as sucky as the other game called Highway Rider. <laughs> And it looks like uh, it kind of was made by the same group. The graphics, the bike looks almost exactly the same. Uh, I can't even believe they call it a Ducati because you're just, you're riding on some blocky, crappy pixels and it's from behind. You can't even, both games are from the rear view, not rear overhead, just rear. So all they really had to do was put like a black rectangle with a little red rectangle above it and they called it a Ducati. So there you go. And yeah, the game looks terrible. Uh, let me read what I wrote about this. So they basically took Highway Rider and made it a game where you ride on a track instead of the highway. And there's also no challenges. Uh, one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, I love this game just because it's funny and it's fun. And it's frustrating. So there's the four F's there. Funny, fun, frustrating, and fantastic. There's the fourth F. Uh, Trials Frontier. This is one of my favorite trials-based physics games that I've played on my phone. I wasted a lot of time, you know, giving, quote, giving the kids a bath, quote, using the bathroom myself. Honey, what are you, you've been in there for 40 minutes. Do you have dysentery? Oh, oh, no, I'm fine. I've just been playing Trials Frontier. Um, you know, go to the park. Uh, I used to play with my kids at the park. I used to run around and climb on stuff like a little monkey myself. And uh, when I had Fr Trials Frontier, it's like, okay, kids, I'm going to climb around with you for five minutes, and then Dad's going over here to the bench. So, yeah, this game consumed the free time that I had. Uh, I loved it, and I loved playing it. I've since erased it off my phone just because storage you know what's up with phones nowadays well that, that's another episode we'll talk about that but you know taking too many pictures of your bikes and downloading too many memes 
bones just don't seem to be able to handle it anymore. But anyway, yeah, one of the best games I've ever played. Super funny, super challenging in the fact that it tries to engage you. It tries to keep you engaged and keep you playing it, probably so that you'll keep buying in-app purchases and stuff like that. And also because they advertise on there. And so, I mean, you got to make money somehow. But yeah, it's a totally fun game, totally physics-based. Uh, you could advance pretty far without spending any money. As a matter of fact, I bought the app only, which was like, I think it was like two ninety nine or something like that. That's the only thing I paid for because I won enough stuff. And if I didn't win, I just wouldn't play. You know, I'd wait a couple of days for my gas tank to refill and uh, play some more, win some more coins, buy some stuff, wait for my gas. And I could tell these people on the leaderboards that had like bajillion trillion points. Um, yeah, they obviously play all the time and spend all the monies buying all these upgrades for shit like that. And every game has that nowadays, nowadays, downloadable content. It's basically the Patreon of podcasts, but for video games. Like, hey, we've got you with this. You've already paid the upfront price. Now would you like to, a little bit of extra? You know, that we got to keep making money somehow. It's not like car insurance where you pay for this game monthly. It's like, you know, we need another way to get get some more money out of you so, so we can get rich and make more games yada yada but yeah so this game had all that but but the thing was you didn't need it it was super fun um super frustrating until you build up you know you're building up skills you're building up your bikes and these bikes were pretty rad i actually have a bike rolling chassis and i was thinking about building the bike based off like a concept sort of like something out of this game because they have one one of the bikes that's so rad. It's got, instead of a headlight, it's just got like a flashlight taped to the front fender. It's got like a old jerry can for a gas tank. Like these bikes are cobbled together. They call it Trials Frontier because you're literally like out in the frontier, you know, cobbling these bikes together out of whatever's available out there. So it's a pretty cool game. Cool story to it. It's got a little villain that you were constantly battling against. I really uh, got into some side notes or some side plots here with it. So they they try to make a little story just so that you'll have a couple side games to play and all this and that. So, you know, it's got all that great stuff. But the f- most fun part is doing the same courses on different bikes and seeing how different bikes handle them and react and then get into some of these courses where it's like holy crap i'm riding up the side of a building uh how am i gonna do that and then watch real enduro cross guys they'll use a little rock to jump up and they will drive vertically for like a few or jump up vertical stuff and get up there and i mean real trials and enduro cross guys blow minds with the stuff that they do so they base this game off that you know and obviously threw a little bit of flair into it since it's a video game still fun ass game um it's also got you know gas brake lean forward and lean backwards but the environments the obstacles the opponents the costumes that you can wear like this game gets it. They get that. It's kind of funny and that there's only four controls in every trials game. So let's make this one kind of a kooky fun game. And they really get it. Uh, the last game that we'll talk about here, cause we've been talking about games for way too long is SBK 15, uh, for an app based mobile game. This one looks pretty decent. The graphics and the gameplay 
look better than some of the old console games. Like I can't remember the name of Road Rash. I think that's the game I was trying to think of earlier. Road Rash, what a hunk of junk. Even Excite Bike for being patient zero, it was old and is dated now. SBK 15, the graphics on it look better than like the old Nintendo graphics do. You know, go back and play Mario Brothers emulator from like the 80s, whatever, whenever Mario Brothers first came out. Look how crappy those graphics are. Dude, a phone, a phone. That thing was like the size of a small briefcase, the uh, original NES console. And uh, you're playing this game on a phone that's got better graphics than that and better gameplay, to be honest. Uh, so this one looks like that you can advance through the season. And that was kind of cool that it, uh, it's it's sort of uh, like module based like that or season based. So you, you get your bike and you race through the seasons. Um, it looks like you could possibly play online against other opponents. So that's fun. And that's what I liked about Trials Frontier, too. You could do the levels or you could... They made this place where you could um, play against other people for different prizes and different jackpots and stuff like that that helps you with, in your in-game play. So this one kind of looks like it maybe has that. So yeah, if you're going to do an app-based game and you want a racing game, right, SBK15, if you're going to do an app-based game and do a Trials game, uh, Trials Frontier. And then I think I might have seen that Trials Frontier has a game on a more 3d game on Xbox or something like that. So I don't know if they're expanding out their little app into a video game or not, but yeah, looked awesome. All right. Well, Hey, that's it for video games. There you go. If you need to get somebody a stuff, a stuffing stucker or a stocking stuffer, uh, you know, go with that, do a couple bucks in their stocking for the iTunes store or the uh, Android gift card or go buy him a console game and throw it in there right all right well i think i was going to talk to you about um playing stuff like oh no i wasn't going to do that never mind i'm out of my mind I was going to talk about ims because i didn't talk about it last week i was going to talk about it this week uh, since last week was Turkey Week, I was going to give everybody a chance to catch up from all the Eichma talk and all that great jazz that everybody's been up to and doing. Um, let me get rearranged here. So maybe we should talk about that. I was going to do a little Thanksgiving recap for you. Uh, l- let me do that after the IMS talk first. So to recap IMS, I actually have my schedule here. What did we look at? Oh, we looked at a lot of bikes. Uh, all right. I'm erasing about 10 minutes of IMS blabber because as creative writing, I'm not like a news source. If you want to find out all the great new stuff that's coming out to the market, you can go check out Asphalt and Rubber, MCN, all that great stuff. For, as From a creative point of view, I'd like to talk about what's happening in these uh, industry giants and the exhibitors that were there, that is actually creative. And it actually might be interesting interesting to you as a racer, as a uh, designer, as a customizer, yada, yada, yada. So uh, the first, first one that started off, Harley-Davidson, uh, was first on our tour. We all know how customizable Harley is. We all know how big Harley is as a brand. There's nothing really new here. They, they released the Milwaukee 8... Uh, you know, right before the summer ended 
And I think that was that. And there's there was nothing there. The guy was floundering even for words. I think we all know uh, it's a big, much ado about nothing. And Harley has been, for the last few months, uh, quietly actually over the last almost almost decade now, has been just going up and down, up and down. So uh, that's that. Then after Harley was Indian, it was really cool to have those two back-to-back. You know what I mean? I don't think that was a coincidence either. What Indian has got going on as far as like keeping your eyes open and wanting to watch this company, I think over the next five years, we're going to see Indian grow. Will they be as big as Harley? Well, I don't know. Harley has never stopped production. Indian's been back and forth. And there's going to be a lot of speculation. But hot damn, how awesome are some of these bikes? And the Indians, if you've seen some of the stuff that Roland Sands has cranked out for Indian, and if you see some of the stuff, even the Indian Wall of Death Scout, like that thing was just kind of a stripped down and repainted. But man, that thing looked hot. And I'm not like a cruiser guy, but I would have rode that thing just because it kind of looked like a retro uh, sort of, I don't know. There was something cool about it that I just really liked. So not only that, but the FTR 750 and Brian Smith were there. Uh, And I got to shake hands and have a private conversation with Brian about what's going on and how flat tracking is going to work for him next year. Having joined the wrecking crew with Brad Baker and Jared Mees and getting those three guys together to ride for Indian is like getting an all-star team together and, you know, facing off against everyone else. So. Uh, the Indians, I've already seen them racing at the hooligan races, and um, you heard me, I played them uh, months ago. Uh, I went to the flat track race down in San Diego, and you could hear them. You could hear the difference between the Indians and the Harleys, you know, and from what I've heard about people who have ridden the Indians and done test rides and stuff, the Indians, you know, the Harleys have a six-speed cruise drive, and the six-speed, six-gear is like an overdrive. Indians apparently pull all the way and the uh, person i was listening to i forget if it was loud pipes or the throttled podcast it was one of those though said that the only limitation was the tires i mean tires are speed rated and the bike could outperform the tires so i'm super excited to see what's going on with them now if you don't pay attention to polaris i guess some of their uh, side-by-sides may have had some electrical problems catching on fire. But you know what happens? When Teslas were catching on fire, people got scared and ran away. Smart people invested. And that's because in the face of adversity, when stuff happens like that, people tend to run away and things get cheap. So right now would be a good time to invest in Polaris, not only because of you know everything else that's going on with them and their market growth and the fact that they've grown jobs where Harley's been cutting jobs. Uh, the fact is, is that, you know, with Indian and, and this, this uh, rivalry coming back in flat track, it's going to hit the showrooms too. So I'm just excited for the next five years and to see what happens in the next year with AMA flat track and Indian. So that was pretty cool. Uh, moving on to uh, Can-Am. We will you know, really talk about those. Uh, KTM, a lot of cool stuff coming out of KTM. From a customizable point of view, or from a racing point of view, the RC390. Uh, that thing is awesome. You know, they they also have what's really interesting as far as like a rider point of view is if you like think of the R1200 GS from BMW as being like the 
market uh, symbol of the icon of ADV. Dude, the 1290 Super Adventure, I think it's called. That thing is like just got to be gunning for the BMW R1200GS. And the only reason that it's probably not going to overtake it in sales is because just like Harley-Davidson, people drink the BMW Kool-Aid. I'm telling you, Ari Henning saw the headlight. He was standing behind uh, behind me at the show, and he said, that headlight is life. And that basically sums up BMW or KTM's styling. They are kind of like separating themselves from all the lookalike, the BMW wannabe lookalikes and this and that. And they are just going their own way. They've added all this crazy new stuff. They were talking about their IMUs last year that they added. They added off-road ABS. Everything that the BMW has, they have like cruise control, heated grips, you know, adjustable stuff. I don't think they have an electronically adjustable suspension. I don't quite remember them talking about that, um, but I'm sure it's probably on the way. And yeah, the 1090 Super Adventure R, the 1290 Super Adventure R, all that great stuff. The RC Cut Bike, that thing is just as awesome as ever. And the the Duke 390, I think they're going to start racing um, naked bikes. So we'll see how those things fare. So that was interesting. Uh, Royal Enfield, no real news out of Royal Enfield, except that they've obviously opened up in Harley-Davidson's backyard. There was no news on their 750 motor that's been talked about. There was no news on the Himalayan that I saw. Um, so they were just talking about that they've opened up their, finally got their store in Milwaukee and, you know, just kind of running over their, their lineup of, of bikes and telling you that their, you know, service is ready. What I do like about Royal Enfield is just like they have been for the last 10 years, Royal Enfield's always been a cheaper alternative to a super classic looking bike and hell before they revamped them in like 2013 and went to fuel injection and and newer tooling, it was a vintage bike. I mean, you could buy a 2000 and it was the same bike as like a 1959. And these things are like ultimately customizable. They're actually sold in a lot of places. And before they came, <clears throat> came over here and started making a comeback, they were cheap as all hell. I haven't researched Royal Enfield prices lately, but those used to be some pretty cool ass bikes. I mean, Vibrady, there's a lot of problems with them, but I mean... It's cheap and it's Indian and it's good classic fun and it really rides like a vintage bike because <laughs> it because it basically is. Uh, we went to Yamaha after that. We know what's coming out from Yamaha if you pay attention. You know they got their new R6. You know they've put ABS on almost everything from the R3. Uh, you know all the way up. They've done. Basically, a whole bunch of new styling to their FZ models. But what does that have to do with being creative and having fun? Well, nothing. But listen to this. Their yard-built and faster sun stuff was there in full effect. And in the past, when they released the Bolt, they had a lot of Bolt biker build-off stuff there, which is really cool because you got to see Jeff Pelegi stuff. You got to see Roland Sands stuff. I think Shinya Kimura might have done something with that or with the XSR. I forget. But their yard built and faster sun stuff is really just handing this stuff out to builders, not working out of the accessory catalog, but customizing all this stuff. So Roland Sands had a street tracker there. Jeff Pelegi did the Scrambler uh, SCR 950, which is their Scrambler based off the Bolt platform. And it's just awesome to see what people are actually customizing these things to do. Now, 
pardon me. Now they're still a big heavy bike. They're more of like what you would have considered a desert sled back in the day, not a scrambler. But the fact that people are taking them and modifying them and actually doing some real off-road stuff with these big old bikes and turning them into street trackers and stuff. It's just so cool to see Yamaha have a custom, uh, you know, somebody that makes really bitchin' sport bikes still has a custom side to them. They're not, you know, Ducati, Ducati is all, uh, when you think about sport bikes, you, and you think of Ducati, you know what level you're working on. Well, the Yamahas have been winning races. Hell, Lorenzo Rossi, um, and now Vinales, all these guys, you know, think of how top tier Yamaha is, yet they still have this cool, like, dark custom side where people are taking, uh, you know, bolts and building stuff with them. People are taking their, uh, you know, little V stars and building stuff with them. You know, it's just, it's really cool that you can still, you can be, work on that uh, top notch of a, of a level where you're, you know, racing, you're sponsoring kids in, with the blue crew, crew racing stuff. You know, you're doing all the great stuff that Yamaha does on the racing side, yet you still have this like personal customizable side down on your models that you're releasing straight off the showroom floor. You don't have to go buy an old RD or an old SR from the 80s. You can get one of these new bikes and customize it and make it yours. So I think that's really cool. When you think of all these other sport bike companies, be it Honda, be it Ducati, you know, stuff like that. You don't see that. You can get the Scrambler and all of Ducati's variations and pick your parts here and there, but you can't, you know, not many people, I should say, take it and make it theirs. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, we moved on to BMW after that, who, you know, their G310GS, the G310R, which was a 2016, but like really won't be out until 2017. As far as customization and stuff from BMW, uh, not much. They did bring out... The cool thing about BMW is that they do partner with Roland Sands. They do partner with you know uh, other custom builders across the globe. Roland Sands is the most popular one here in the States for us. But, you know, that's where we get the stuff that they released, like the uh, K1600B, the bagger. That's based off Roland Sands' 101 concept that debuted last year. There's also the Lacrose concept, which I'm not even 100% sure who did that, but I think it was somebody from overseas. Um, and now that's come out as the Urban GS. There's also the uh, R9T Racer, which is a total cafe racer, bikini fairing, seat hump, everything. I talked a little while ago about modular frames and how that's good for customizers and how that's good for factories alike and aftermarket accessory makers. Because everybody's working with the same parameters. You don't have to custom make some one-off stuff to fit this model. You make something that'll fit that subframe and it'll fit all the R9Ts, whether it's a luggage, little luggage rack or anything. You can make it to fit your lock rows. You can make it to fit the Scrambler, the R9T, or even the Cafe Racer. You just, you know, it's, it's going to be really cool to see what people are doing on the customizing front of this. I like how I said custom icing. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, other creative things coming out of BMW is I'm sure you've seen the BMW, uh, G310, uh, was a flat tracker slash street tracker that has come out on bike XF recently. And, uh, I don't know. There's, there's so many things that people are doing now. I don't 
know how they're getting their hands on this stuff already, but there's people doing really cool creative stuff with the factory stuff that's coming out of BMW. Now, you wouldn't take an R1200GS and turn it into a street tracker. They're just too damn pricey. People don't buy them for that. So one reason I'm glad that BMW has finally jumped down into this 310 market is that, A, not only could you and me now afford a GS because the G310GS, and we can get into the adventure market and be GS wannabes finally, but also you can do stuff like that. If you're not worried about paying 20 some odd thousand bucks for a bike, hell, here's the GS that you can buy five of for that price and go ahead and customize them. You know what I mean? So you, for the price of uh, one, you could have two and, and have money left over to customize them in the way that these have been customized. And looking at this street tracker that came out, it's really a bitchin' platform to work with. So it's kind of cool. I'm, I'm more excited about the smaller bikes than any of the changes BMW made to the bigger bikes this year. Uh, after BMW, we hopped over to Suzuki, also making news for some really cool little bikes like the GSX250R. And the GSX1000, the guy didn't even talk about it. It's like made some of the most... like. Hey, you idiots! You totally re- you totally redid this bike. You totally changed it, and you have the RR version, which is your homologation special for racing. You didn't talk about that, or no? Well, I guess they have the GSX one thousand and the GSX one thousand R. That's what I'm thinking of. Didn't talk about either of those. I uh, I've heard that they got variable valve timing. I heard that they made like a whole bunch of changes to. You know, the the motor, that everything got re, redone. Everything. They didn't even talk about them hardly. They focused on the baby katana, as they were calling it. You know, the GSX 250R, which, you know, that is cool. That, that's another thing I'm saying. You can get into the sport biking uh, sphere now for, for a lot cheaper than you could have before. And if you want to, you can take it apart and modify it and make a street tracker out of that, for Pete's sake. I mean, it's just so cool that people are coming down with some of these small, small bikes. Uh, we went to Honda after that. And speaking of Honda, the CR250L uh, Rally Edition, super cool, super cool. You could buy a regular CR250 and do your own stuff to it, but this Rally looks pretty pretty awesome. I love the color scheme on it. Not a whole bunch of new stuff coming out of Honda that I can remember Um Specifically, I mean, a lot of dirt bike changes and stuff, but you know, the CBR 1000 RR was new and was there and all that, but you know, that is what it is. Victory Motorcycles was there. And speaking of, earlier of Polaris and Can Am, and or, I'm sorry, Polaris and uh, Indian, Victory was there. And Grizz, uh, we talked about him, I think, sort of around this time last year. He was a guy who rode his Victory cross country tour. Uh, around five continents in a hundred days over the the summer, and his bike was there, and you could see every mile on that thing. That was pretty cool. So it also looked pretty badass the way it was customized for uh, going across country and making trips and stuff. I thought that was really cool. And so won't talk about victory too much more, except for the fact that you know, coupled with Indian uh, Polaris is just a company to look at this year, and then in the next five years to see how how they grow and i can see the victories taken off as well as the indians um i'm not sure it's kind of like acura and and uh honda you know being 
the same company, but two different companies. I'm not 100% sure if Victory is going to be focusing on cruisers and Indian's going to be focusing on heritage, but I could see where they could like overlap the two and make some pretty bitchin' victories. So I don't know. So Polaris Slingshot, won't even bother talking about that. Kawasaki making big news, not only with the ZX uh, 10RR, which there's only going to be 500 of, and I think they said almost all of them are already sold anyway. That's just a homologation. Uh, they had the Winter Test Ninja 300 there. What's that? It's just a paint color that they give to their bikes that they do the winter tests on, which are black usually because they don't have any uh, decals or sponsors on them. Um, the biggest news that came out of Kawasaki in my eyes was again, small displacement versus the baby versus and the, you know, some of the stuff that was coming out of the Kawasaki for the last couple of years is pretty cool. The, the Vulcan, I, I didn't, I wish they would bring the W over here because the Vulcans aren't really that great. Can't, I, I saw a guy flat track one once, but you can't really do a lot of cool customization with the Vulcan as far as I've seen. Um, there's a lot of factory stuff that you can do to make it a better cruiser, but that's what it is. It's just a, it's a smaller cruiser. Um, I, I, you know, the stuff that Kawasaki has that you could really modify and make cool is like their W's and stuff that, that we don't have over here. So at least we're, we'll have this little versus, um, and that's going to be pretty cool. But yeah, Kawasaki, uh, nothing really creative coming out of there as far as I'm concerned. And then we come to Ducati. Ducati, uh, it was really nice. This is post-work stuff. Of course, I go there for work every year. I have to do uh, work obligations. But once those are done, I get to do my own thing. And it's usually later in the show. And that's when I go talk to people and whatnot. And so Ducati was fortunately uh, was after my work. Ducati was serving prosciutto and coffee and, mm, I don't know, some sort of marble wine cheese and Peronis, which is basically like a Duke, uh, Ducati, an Italian Heineken. They're kind of skunky Italian beers. So they were serving all that stuff up in a very hipstery sort of way, a uh, very Italian way, I guess. And they were debuting some of their bikes. Now, I've mentioned before the Scrambler, um, how I don't really like them because they're not really a Scrambler in my mind. So they came out with the bike called the Desert Sled this year, which is really like an off-road capable Scrambler. And it lives up to the name of Desert Sled, which is back in the old days, Scramblers were small. I, I've said that over and over and over and over because of the 900 CC Scramblers that are coming out, you know, and Scramblers in air quotes. So they finally came out with one called the Desert Sled, which really is what... Bikes were that were like over 500 cc's, anything bigger than that. I mean, it was you couldn't scramble with for real. You would call it a desert sled because you'd put a bash guard on it and maybe some knobbies and take it out and rail it through the dunes and stuff. And you wouldn't really be jumping over stuff or scrambling over anything, but you'd be sledding basically through the through the sand. And so I'm really stoked that they finally came out with a bike called the Desert Sled. And Jamie Robinson was there. He's a super creative guy. He's created the Moto Geo Enterprise almost uh, single-handedly making a whole bunch of cool content. And they had a film. I was, uh, Freedom Machine was the name of the film, but I didn't go see it afterwards. I just uh, 
you know, watched the trailer and everything. And um, but yeah, he he made the Freedom Machine movie and uh, was on a modified scrambler, but I think it was really the prototype for the Desert Sled. And it it actually looks like it can go and and get some stuff done. I mean, it, it's just it's cool. They also had the Super Legera there, which you know, if you're a racer, you probably love uh, to buy an eighty thousand dollar bike that's all carbon fiber. Um, you know, Jason Britton did, or John Britton, I'm sorry, Jason Britton, he's a stunter. John Britton did this back, you know, a couple decades ago. So now Ducati's finally coming around to doing it. So that's that. And the other thing that came out of Long Beach was, um, I don't know, there was a lot of cool custom bikes there. Chuck and uh, I, Chuck from the Wheel Nerds, of course, we walked around and looked at all the custom stuff and we looked at a bunch of 1949 Panthers, which I had never heard of. And when we looked up what they are, what the actual bike is, um, none of these bikes look anything like what a Panther is. And they all had different motors. Some had SNS looking units or Harley, you know, which is basically like a Harley unit. And some of them might've had Harleys in them. Some of them were thumpers. Uh, so it was really interesting. I don't know if the Panther was just the frame or what, but these things were nuts, like exposed clutches, exposed uh, primary drives. Not only was the frame like sculpted and tooled, but all the metal, every single piece of metal was either twisted or tooled. Or I mean, it, these things were crazy. It's like a club of pe- people got together and bought a bunch of Panthers and then did like the sort of same same sort of treatment to them. Lots of gold, lots of chrome. Lots of twisting and and tooling, so they kind of look similar. Uh, I didn't see one that didn't have all that stuff on it, so I'm wondering if it's all the same group. Uh, the other cool thing there was Dafo Winery. Dafo is a winery down in Temecula who has a motorcycle museum. Does an event every year, a charity event, which is really nice. Had a lot of Dafo racing. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure if they were from the museum. Or if it was there just a club or something that they were sponsoring, but Dafo was there in uh, in force. There's a lot of racing bikes there uh, in the in the vintage corral, so to speak, and that was really cool. I got a lot of pictures of that. Some of them will be posted up on our website. Some of them already have been, and uh, yeah, so that was basically IMS in a nutshell. There's lots of crazy clown paint jobs. Um, there was another bike last year. I took pictures of a beach cruiser that uh, IVI made, which is Imagine Vehicles International, I believe. And it was a beach cruiser with the Moto Guzzi motor in it. And like that thing was, I was trying to explain to Chuck, uh, explain it to him without having it there. It was really hard because that thing had so much crazy detail and just like top level workmanship. Well, this year there's a BMX bike there and it it just had like a little small, much smaller motor, but it was still cool to see somebody taking a bicycle idea and putting a motor on it and making it look pretty damn good. So what else was there? The Busa painted like the dragon, um, that had the brown seat, which was obviously real dragon skin. Um, brown and green is usually what dragon skin seats are. The crazy clown paint jobs. Like I'd say that was like a theme was like the crazy ass paint jobs that were there. And the vendors, um, before 
they didn't have Flo's Chop Shop so big. Like this year, they had Flo's Chop Shop there with an espresso bar and like a shoe shine station where they took a Ural and cut it and made it fully functional to where you could get like a beard comb, wax, barb, and shoe shine all in one Ural. And it was kind of cool. The Ural flipped open. The front of the sidecar where it flipped open and ha- is the rounded part where your feet go had a little shelf in there where they put all their little shoe shine crap. The seat, actually, you could sit in it. It was raised up, though. It was a huge seat. It was like an old barber uh, shop style chair that sat in there, but it swung out and it had sort of a tripod underneath it to bear the weight of it. Uh, yeah, that thing actually locked into the sidecar when when it was closed and the front closed up and locked so this thing was a totally working bike but when you park it and you unlock it and unlash the seat and swing it out it turns into a shoe shine station with like a captain's chair it's kind of a cool i mean it, it must have taken them a long time to figure out all the mounting and and all of the hinge work and getting all the clamps i was that i was more impressed with that than i was the fact that it's a fucking shoe shine and beard wax station like that was kind of disappointing but the stage and flow's chop shop all took up the central progressive area where i feel like before there was a lot more vendors there i didn't see there was there's typically like a couple tire vendors this year i saw one there's usually like a huge helmet area it kind of seemed reduced i don't know if that's because of the uh the people that were there i don't know if that's cuz they were still kind of setting up while the tour was moving through i'm not 100% sure why but the that area looked a little smaller than it has in the past and then vendor row also wasn't as big as it was even last year so i don't know what's going on maybe it cost more for people to come maybe it was a bad weekend uh i have no idea what it was but um it just seemed a little bit smaller in the vendor area than it has been over the past couple years and right after the recession hit, a uh, couple years after the recession hit, as a matter of fact, the the vendor, the outskirt area was the largest because OEs were like cutting way back and Honda like cut way back. BMW had cut way back. A lot of people weren't introducing new stuff. So these other vendors came in that you'd never see. I mean, there was people, it was basically like a, going to the swap meet instead of going to a motorcycle show. And so... Yeah, it was really interesting this year to see how much space like the corporate areas took up and the vendor areas were kind of smaller. So that was interesting. Also, another thing that was a little bit interesting to me was talking to Chuck to find out that AIM has like a whole media day where they're all set up and you can actually talk to the vendors and talk to the salespeople from the smaller companies too. And every year, except for one, the Long Beach tour is setting up as you're walking through. There's forklifts. Displays aren't even where they're going to be because they, they roll in the night before and they roll in that morning and start unloading and setting up stuff. So uh, nothing's really ready on media day. You don't get to see stunt shows. You don't get to do demo rides. I mean, media day is really not that great, um, to be honest. You just you get to see unveilings, but whoopee. You know, when you come back the next day, there's usually more bikes there than there were on media day. So, and you get to ride them. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing uh, to hear him talk about how aim, cause I always dismissed aim, uh, since it's only three years old, 
But he said, no, it's great. You get to talk to the vendors. Hell, Eric Buell was there. And the people like the sales and marketing guys from Liquid Asset Partners were still on a plane and hadn't even made it to the show yet. And so he's there by himself and the tour stopped to talk to him. And he was just like, hey, uh, well, I'm here. I guess I'll talk, you know, and and you don't usually get to see the person, you know, that does the magic behind you usually talking to some PR rep. So it was kind of cool that he was there repping his own shit and you have the guy that makes it and designs it talking about it. But at the same time, that just shows you how weird it is that people are still rolling off the planes. There's, there's times where I, we've gone there before looking for bikes to look at and they're still, Oh, BMW still tall. You know, they're rolling off the plane from Germany. Still they're at, they're in customs right now at the airport. They'll be here tomorrow for the public, but they're not here now. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting show. Sounds like aim is really cool. And the fact that they're probably, uh, since they don't travel around, they have everything set up for you way beforehand. And you get one full day for media just to burn, do interviews, look at everything, sample everything, see what the consumers are going to be getting. So you're able to talk about it where long Beach, I mean, not long beach, but the IMS in general on media day they're still setting up all that stuff. So it was interesting. I can't wait for 2018 when AIM comes to Vegas because I am for sure going to go to that. And uh, hopefully I get to experience the, I don't know, the, the the forethought or whatever that they have to have everything ready before the show opens. I mean, you know, by the time the tour ends, the media tour ends, the public walks in and, and there are throwing down the last cord covers and taping down the last carpets. I mean, it's it's that close. So, And then after that weekend, Sunday, they pack up early and go to the next town. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> so we're getting close to the end of the show. I really I wanted to talk about a lot more stuff, so I better do it fast. I'm going to try to wrap up the show in 20 minutes here. Let's uh, wrap up the show with our last segment called Going Small. So with the recent onslaught of small bikes that's hit the market recently and all the developments that have been making headlines for the past few months, I thought I'd write a little article for creativewriting.com. Starting back in 1983, Kawasaki begat the EX250. Some some places it was known as the GPZ250, but it was a small and underpowered, belt-driven, really a piece of shit by all accounts. But it was an uncontested one at the time. It was an entry-level sport bike, similar in design and purpose to today's Suzuki GW250, just sort of a naked, ugly, you know, to get you into riding. And although it shares little with its successors, it was the aboriginal unit that would lead unknowingly to a small displacement spate of two wheelers a few decades later, Uh, this being those decades. The current new wave of small displacement bikes is quite a pleasant surprise in a decade where manufacturers have been escalating the engine sizes and unit prices for the last few years. Everything's just been getting bigger and bigger and bigger in every market segment, it seems like. So with the shrinking, it could be the shrinking global market coupled with the increased safety and emissions regulations driving the smaller displacement market leading up to this year. But whatever it is, the 250 marketplace is, isn't new, but it's different than it was around 20 years ago. See, 20 years ago, 
we had uh, the 250 marketplace in a very active state. Um, small bore four cylinders. They were tearing up racetracks and showrooms for an epic battle of brand domination. But they were super high revving four strokes. They were putting out roughly the same horsepower as Harley Davidson's that had five times the displacement. And despite the fact that they were they're perfectly slotted into the learner category in most countries, they they really weren't learner friendly. The engine characteristics and the rider ergonomics were geared really more towards skilled riding, and they required a more sport-natured mindset. And a major drawback for learning riders was the constant stalling. Especially, I've read that the Honda CB250s were terrible because due to the higher top-end power, the bottom-end torque really took a hit. These things were revving up to like 14,000 RPM and stuff like that. So you really had to rev it up before you let the clutch out. And that just really wasn't conducive to a learning environment. Uh, Clip-ons and rear sets also didn't really lend themselves well to around town travel uh, or surface street, right? You know, slow speed surface streets. They were great on the open track and the open road, but get them in these smaller places where you have to turn, do some U-turns possibly, and it just wasn't happening. It probably didn't foster a sense of security or control for learning riders and commuters alike. So amongst all the ebbing and flowing of the 250cc market at the time, one model remained largely unchanged over the years, and that was the Kawasaki Ninja 250. From 86 to 2007, which was like the second gen Ninja, It was also known as the GPX 250 or the ZZR250 outside of the North American markets. It was uniquely uncontested for many years in this segment. Uh, A complete redesign in 2008 saw the Ninja 250R finally catching the eye of riders and racers alike who were looking for a low-priced but uh, sporty-looking bike. And unlike some of the other 250s that began to reemerge within the last few years, the 250 from Kawasaki always looked pretty sporty and even sometimes got confused with the larger Ninja, like the Ninja 750 and stuff like that. And many countries that have displacement or power to weight limitations for riders or learners with provisional licenses, they, you know, people could ride GS 500, CB 400s, things like that. But the Ninja 250 was selling like crazy. I don't know how many stories I've heard of the guy taking his R1 or his R6 to the track and just getting pissed off because he's getting passed by a Ninja 250 in the corners and then he'll catch him on the straight, but then get blown away again in the corners. These things were fast and the riding characteristics had changed enough to where they weren't the high revving bikes of the the 90s they weren't the inline the super small displacement inline fours i mean imagine that first off the piston must have been like the size of your finger to be a a four-cylinder inline four but not only that the revs you didn't need revs you had a lot of mid-range torque and drive so that was you know really appealing to people and so they were selling like hotcakes uh in 2011 honda came Storming into the ring with its own 250 uh, lineup, the CBR250R, they won up the Ninja when they offered ABS, but uh, they used a single cylinder versus a parallel twin. Uh, the Kawasaki had enjoyed years alone in this segment. There was always a 250 segment, but 
not this sport bike segment where a sport bike really was a small displacement sport bike and not just a 250 kind of wrapped in some similar looking fairings. I mean, this they were really, uh, the Kawasaki's were pretty fast. So now here comes, here comes Honda. They're not alone anymore at the top of the hill. And in 2013, Kawasaki blew the Ninja out to 300 cc's, but at ICMA that same year, KTM throws down the gauntlet with the RC390 and the 390 Duke. Honda follows suit by up in the CB to uh, 300-ish, you know. So everybody the next year, within the next couple of years, is starting to pop up to 300 cc's. So now let's turn to 2016 and 17. More machines have emerged from the factory folds and designer sketch pads. The smaller, lighter, and more fuel-efficient than their vanishing 650 and 750cc cousins, the new quarter-liter bike segment has just evolved and erupted once again onto the scene. And some of the bikes may have never been seen uh, had it not been for tiered licensing, I'm guessing. And while there's many places where the power-to-weight ratio is still a factor in licensing restrictions... Lower costs, uh, strategic partnerships, all these things might be playing a bigger role in the boon of smaller bikes that consumers are enjoying worldwide right now. Because uh, companies who dominate their field, uh, Hero, Bajaj, TVS, uh, all these companies who are primarily manufacture smaller displacement bikes in the Asian markets, Indian markets, uh, you know, even even markets like... uh, Saudi Arabia, um, the Middle East, places like that, where 125 uh, is really the dominant size. I mean, there's a lot of the world, a lot of the world where 250 is big. I mean, there's there's many, 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 many places. Most of the world, in fact, where smaller bikes are basically the bread and butter of of where these the big four even are making their um, you know making their money, and so they have these strategic partnerships with other brands you know suzuki for a very long time partnered with hyasung well then hyasung ventured out on their own and they've been making small bikes and stuff like that in their respective uh environment as well so some of these partnerships now uh you know like i mentioned tvs and bajaj they were dominant in their own country and now they find exposure to these new mark markets with partnerships with bmw and ktm respectively a lot of people forget that the 390 Duke is uh, made in conjunction with Bajaj. All right. If you want to check out the rest of the article, you can go over to the creativewriting.com site or look on our Facebook page where it's been posted up already and check out the rest of the 250 and 300 marketplace and see what's going on in those segments. The bikes with the biggest makeover, and I really didn't touch on this in my IMS review, was the Honda Rebel. If you remember what the Honda Rebel looks like, it kind of looks like a V-Star 250. Um, you know, it just it looks like this old cruiser from back in the day. And I, I forgot to talk about this in my IMS breakdown that when I'm walking around and I come stumble across the Rebel, they did not have it mentioned on the uh, the show, you know, the itinerary. And I see this thing that looks just like a Yamaha Bolt. And I walk over there. And it's the Rebel. It's the new Honda Rebel. And now they're making them in 500 and 300 CC variants. And I got to talk to uh, Keita Mikura. The, he's the assistant chief engineer from Honda. And he was the lead designer on the Rebel 
project. And I, you know, I talked to, he's, we walked around the bike for like half an hour, just talking about it and, and, uh, just asking about all the stuff and, and, and why the changes and this and that. He said, basically the changes was because, uh, people wanted something. Well, obviously they needed to update it. The Honda has been, had the, the same rebel basically for like the last 150 years. And it has always looked like this crazy little Harley Davidson cruiser shrunk down. So the new Rebel looks a little bit more like the Japanese style. You know, it, it, the Honda looks a lot, like I said, the Yamaha Bolt, really. The the fit and the finish, really, with the matte metallic paint and the super hard-to-read round, um, <laughs> you know, instrument cluster. Everything was cast. I mean, everything was metal on this thing, pretty much. The the thing I didn't like was the tank, but, you know, I, I guess for whatever reason, they didn't want to hide the the frame and <laughs> they're really proud of that frame, but it really made it kind of like raked out. But he and I really went over it uh, piece by piece. There's a rear subframe on there now. And you, I was asking about what about a passenger because it was, they're all single seaters. And he said, yeah, that that's already included. If you reach up under there and I, I did, I reached up under the fender and I felt, yep, there's some nuts. He said, you take those off and you pop the passenger pillion on and screw those back on. And you slap, uh, slap some pegs onto the frame. Everything's modular back there so that you can bolt all these accessories and everything that they've kind of figured out. And is what I've always said in the past few episodes about customizing and going modular for aftermarket companies, as well as accessories and customizers to be able to build, you know, build off the factory frame and stuff like that. He said, that's totally what this thing is, is geared toward. And if you unbolt a few bolts, the whole rear subframe comes off and you got yourself like a bobber, you know what I mean? Or a brat style bobber. And he said, it's just really geared toward uh, getting basically customized, you know, by the user. When we're talking about the motors, the uh, 300 shares the thumper that the, um, the CB 300 has and the 500 is a twin. And that really is a big change. They're both liquid cooled, which, you know, the old one was an air cooled. So, I mean, it's just it's just kind of crazy to see all these big changes. They got 16-inch big chunky tires like a Harley-Davidson has instead of the 18-inch pizza cutter with like the little 15-inch rear I think they used to have. So tire sizes, you're going to be able to get, you know, stuff that's way more uh, conducive to, I guess, customizing and stuff like that for like the chopper kind of look and um, big old meats on there. So, yeah, it was really interesting to see that they... Really, you know, coming out with the with a 500 and a 300 version that's totally, totally different from anything what the old one used to look like is, you know, people don't usually do that with their stuff. So that I thought was pretty interesting. And I, I really I totally forgot to talk about that in the IMS breakdown. <laughs> so that was one of the most important bikes, I think, on if you f- think of the Rebel as being the bike that a lot of people took their tests on. I've seen I actually seen a lot of them on the road. You always hear about them being these bulletproof bikes that are just all over Craigslist and you can pick up for like a thousand bucks to see that iconic bike, you know, as being a small bike as it is change to this new uh, level of, you know, development and design and, and remain an important part of Honda's lineup alongside the new, you know, the RC213V, all the crazy stuff they're coming out with and all these redesigns of the bikes. They get all the attention like the Africa Twin and the CBR1000. 
um, to see this little bike go through this crazy change and just come out this totally completely different animal than it's been for the last, like I said, 3000 years since they uncovered the first one from whatever stone, uh, just was pretty incredible to see. So that I thought was pretty interesting. And with that, let's close out the show here with a DIY tech tip for the week. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Have you been wondering what to do over the winter while it's raining, pouring, snow maybe down in your neighborhood, hailing, flooding, whatever the heck it does in your area of the world? Why not go to your local swap meet and build out your tool base for next year? Yeah, instead of being that poor sad sap who has no tools and is pouting in his garage while everyone else is building some cool-ass custom. Yeah, that could be you. So the impetus for this DIY tech tip is the Long Beach Swap Meet that's coming up this uh, weekend. And I, it, it ha- it's, a, it's a motorcycle swap meet that happens every month in Long Beach. And I'm always talking about how you could, you know, hone your craft, do this and that. You know, but to do that, you need a space. And I've talked about before making a little space, making a little table, whatever you need. Start small, grow your stuff big, right? So here's my DIY tech tip for this week. And that's don't be afraid of swap meets and Craigslist. You don't need to go buy a big Porterfield, you know, CNC machine for your garage. You could start out small. Hell, half of the people on here, we've we've had articles on or maybe we shared on um our Facebook page before tools that you've made. And it was kind of cool to see some of the stuff that got posted up there, but yeah, dude, make tools. And most of all, when you, there's something you can't make, go to the swap meet. It's like literally one of your best, uh, resources for, uh, I don't know, cost effective tools. And even if something, you know, if you've ever wanted to make something and don't want to go to Harbor Freight and buy a hunk of junk, Go get something from the swap meet. It might even be cheaper and take it apart and like rearrange it and make whatever you want of it. I've seen people that used to be in the body work industry from other countries like Australia and New Zealand where they didn't make a tool. They would go down to the junkyard or the swap meet and buy like five different tools and bring them back and start machining stuff and cutting stuff out of steel and welding stuff up integrating this thing they'd basically macgyver like a planishing hammer or something like that or you know i wouldn't say like an english wheel but you know they get all these kind of crazy little uh tubing benders or they make a if that you know whatever they don't have they make and they use old tools to do it and not only that but can't use maybe you can't use it in this design or something doesn't work hell now you got a new tool so that's these swap meets that happen especially over the winter time when you can't you know, when your bike's down, you can't ride, you get perfect time to start a new project, right? Or perfect time to enhance since you're not going to be riding and spending money on gas. Perfect time to enhance if you're not building a bike, enhance your tool collection. So that's pretty much my DIY tech tip for this week. And these swap meets also great place to go pick up parts for your bike. Maybe you got a winter build going on. Maybe you got, you know, you're customizing your bike while it's going to be down for a few months. And uh, I was going to do like a winter tip about like winterizing your bike. But I think if you live in the winter areas, you already know what to do. If you don't live in a winter area, though, um, I would say we might have some tips for you. Because even here, it got down to 60 degrees. And that was pretty cold for me. When it gets below 60, 
I go, you know, that's like a spring day to some of you guys in Chicago and Wisconsin and stuff like that. So I know that sounds kind of wimpy, but um, yeah, that's when I go into like uh, hibernation mode here. So for me, you know, I might be storing my bike soon. So I was like, well, maybe I, maybe I would do it for people who, who don't necessarily live in snowbound areas that still let their bikes sit for a couple months. But, you know, we'll get into that. So this time we won't worry about it. We'll just start enhancing our tools and getting stuff ready for our winter builds via the swap meets. So yeah, we sh- you should check out. I don't know if there's a resource where you can check them out, but you know, here in SoCal, we're so fortunate to have the LA swap meet every month. It's a monthly thing. And if you don't go buy tools, you can go, you know, find some sick ass bike parts and get that build on. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. I hope you've all had uh, a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Peace. Greater <coughs> Riding and Associates would like to thank and apologize to the following people, places, things, and whatevers. Project Gotham Racing. Ride. Grand Theft Auto 4 and 5. Joe Danger. Excite Bike, Tourist Trophy, SBKX Trials Evolution, and ATV Off-Road Fury. We are sorry to the following motorcycle manufacturers. Harley-Davidson, Indian Motorcycle Company, Can-Am BRP, KTM North America, Royal Enfield, Yamaha, BMW, Suzuki, American Honda, Victory Motorcycles, Kawasaki, Ducati. We would also like to apologize to the following apps for the Android and iPhone. Uh, Highway Rider, you suck. Ducati Challenge, equally as crappy. Kyle's Frontier. And SBK15. Sorry to American Flat Track Racing, Brian Smith. Jared Meese and Brad Baker, Sammy Halbert, Kenny Coolbeth, and any other flat track race we may have mentioned. Sorry to the Honda Rebel 500 and 300, the Suzuki 250 Katana, ATM Super Duke, every motorcycle in the world, Whiskey Cloud Man, Swap Meets, Tools, Steve Martin, ripping off your wait we said going small not getting small forget you steve martin but we still love the steep canyon rangers sorry to chuck from the wheel nerds the progressive international motorcycle show long beach and you for suffering through the last hour and a half of your life all right thanks see ya and let me see it's gonna be a couple weeks now since turkey day happened now not talking about Steve Martin's getting small. Check, check. God damn it. And that's what makes this such a great... God damn it. Uh, So this might be like watching family home videos from like 20 years ago on like a uh, slideshow of Grandpa. Check your head. Why is my my voice sounding raspy? That's terrible sounding. Okay, anyway. A theme or... 
a yeah theme, I guess. Let's, let's run with that. That's been happening in the motor and start doing stuff for this. Uh, my personal, personal. Uh, 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 I got to shake hands and uh, swap skin. Ew. Um, you know, you know, they, you know, they go, they got, they got all. all 